Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to Life Lessons from Sports and Beyond with me, Simon Mundy. And my guest today really is a towering figure in the world of sport, a sports promoter par excellence. It is Barry Hearn. He's the founder of Matchroom Sports, which is now run by his son, Eddie, of course, who's on the roll call of illustrious former guests on this podcast. And Barry's been involved in loads of sports in his time, from boxing to snooker, darts, golf, fishing, 10-pin bowling, pool, table tennis. He's the chairman of the Professional Darts Corporation. He was chairman of Leighton Orient until 2014, and he received his OBE for services to sport a couple of years ago in 2020. Now, Barry is a larger-than-life character, a raconteur and a showman. And the theme of this conversation is really about being your own best friend. And Barry's undoubtedly his own biggest champion, which he acknowledges has played a big part in the good times he's got to enjoy during his colourful life. Now, Barry's written his autobiography and in it he shares his 10 commandments. So his 10 rules for life and they include it's better to be born lucky than good looking. Tell the truth. It's easier than telling lies. The importance of thinking poor, recognising that your life doesn't change by sitting on the sofa and why Barry swears by avoiding false modesty. All things that we discuss in this episode. Barry is fantastic company. His joie de vivre is infectious and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Barry Hearn, what an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, sir. The sun is shining, life is sweet. And you're heading out to play a bit of cricket later as well, I hear. It's the first match of the season for me, uh, playing for the Essex over 70s. And uh, Skipper tells me I'm opening the batting against Surrey today, so God knows what's going to happen. But uh, I've had some nets during the winter. And as always, I take competitive things very seriously, as you know. Um, I know, yeah. But we'll, we'll give it a good crack. There's no certainties. That's what makes it so appealing. Looking for your third century, is it? Yes. Well, I've got to get, I mean, I, had, I think I had five fifties last year and I really, I, I've got to get my head round that in the second half as well as the first half, you know, so. It, That's a classic story in cricket, isn't it? Any butterflies ahead of the first match of the season? Always. If, if, if there weren't, I wouldn't play, honestly. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm like a child walking out. Most nights when I go to bed, I, my last thought, not, it's not about money or business. My last thought before I go to sleep is walking out to the crease. Isn't that weird? Oh, fantastic. That's cracking. Now, listen, I appreciate your time because, you. as well as your cricket. I know you're, you're in high demand, obviously, with the Snooker World Championships and, and your second top story on the BBC Sport website this morning. I had a little check. So uh, really? you enjoy being front and centre like that, don't you, Barry? Well, I think it's the salesman in you as well, don't forget, and the showman. It's a mixture of salesmen and showmen. You know, 
I've always been a believer people are born to do different things. And as much as I would have loved to have been a superstar in some sport or the other, I, I never had the ability. So the next best thing was to be the man putting things together. And of course, the, the, the advantage of that is you last a lot longer normally than sportsmen. And you actually get better with age rather than worse. So that, that appeals to me. I enjoy the job. I enjoy the job. Your ability, or one of your many abilities, undoubtedly is is your charisma, your gift of the gab, shall we say. Where's that come from, do you think, Barry? I'm going to blame my mum. Um, <laughs> she's long since parted, bless her. But uh, when I was a youngster, my mother was a working-class snob. Although she was a char lady, she cleaned houses and obviously, you know, we came from a council estate upbringing, which was not a bad thing at all. But she wanted so much better for her children. So especially for me, she put me under a lot of pressure to achieve. And one of the things she did when, when I was about 11 was she enrolled me in elocution lessons, which didn't go down well with the other boys, obviously you can imagine. And then she put me in the Amateur Dramatic Society. And then she put me in the Verse Appreciation Society, touring around schools, quoting Robert Graves and things like that. So I think it was her, but looking back on it, it was a pain at the time. And it obviously meant there was a lot of leg pulling, you know, teasing by other kids about that line of work, if you like. But looking back on it, I think that's where I got the confidence to stand up and, and spiel and talk. And, you know, if I hadn't have been a success in the sports business, I, I'd have... Smashed it in Petticoat Lane, selling stuff off the back of a barra, you know. <laughs> Do you think, Barry, if your mum hadn't pushed you as she did, because I know you say that, you know, she was strict. She obviously wanted the best for you. She wanted to lift you up. How different do you think your story would have been without that drive from her, that pushing behind you? Well, it, it's difficult to say, but I think we all need someone in our life that pushes us. Because, especially men, notoriously weak. Uh, I fortunately came from very two, I had two strong women around me. One was my mother and then subsequently my, my girlfriend and then wife, Susan. And both of them are not, were not easy people to get on with. And both of them set very high standards. And both of them were quite frightening in their own way. My wife remains frightening today. So I needed that. And I think... You know, we can men men can be easily distracted from the from the pleasures of life or the excesses of life or whatever. So to actually get discipline at an early age, which I did do, and my mother telling me when I was twelve that I was going to be a chartered accountant, not would you like to be? This is what you're going to be. Uh, I needed that type of discipline because it gave me focus, and in business, focus is paramount to success. And that you never see a poor chartered accountant was a great line from your mother when you were 12. Yeah, and uh, you've proved that to be more than correct. But there was another, obviously, your, the influence your father had on you as well. Because I know, obviously, he was sick. He died quite young. What impact do you think being aware of mortality at a relatively young yeah. age and that kind of... I think what we do you got, think that... Yeah, we got used to it, actually. I mean, it, it, and it served late, later in life, it served some very good message, you know, some very good lessons. I mean, my father wasn't a great influence on my life, to be honest with you, other than he did constantly say, probably thinking of his own position, don't don't waste a moment, you know. And that that has really stuck with me because I, I don't waste a moment. I mean, I am stupidly crazy when I get an idea in my head and that is it. I just, no, I'm, I'm very good. My work ethic is good, but my focus is even better. And that that's helped me. But I think when you come through it, living through, you know, my father had five or six heart attacks before he died at 44. Um, I think it prepared me when I had a few health issues. It, it wasn't a shock. I was expecting it. And, I, and I, looking back on it, I think I was expecting it all my life because a male of our family, direct family, no one, in three generations, no one had got past 45. So it's not, you know, it's not a good advert, is it? For a, <laughs> don't, don't start reading a long book was the message, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and so when I did have my first heart attack, it wasn't really a big surprise, you know. And I was 
if you can be. I was mentally quite prepared for it. So that was probably an advantage as well. But, you know, hurdles are part of life, aren't they? Do you think him dying young made you appreciate life all the more? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I've always... I'm, out, I'm like it today. I mean, I haven't changed in 70, nearly 74 years. I, I love every second of my life. Even the tough moments? Yeah, because, because it's a second of my life. doesn't matter if it's bad. You can't expect everything to be good anyway. I like challenges. And, you know, you can only judge success by failure. Yeah, and every moment's just a moment, right? Whatever the content of it. So, yeah, like you say, lap it all up. And nothing, and nothing really means a row of beans. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the, in the bigger picture of the world and where we are, Jesus, I mean, this, this world's in a terrible place. Politics drives you crazy. You know, everything is, you know, put, there's people suffering that shouldn't be suffering. I mean, how much can you do? But in the end of the day, you do tend to look at yourself and you look at your family and perhaps you look at your local community and say, are we getting through this in, in the proper way? And I think that, that galvanises your interest and it makes sure that you do appreciate what you've got because we should do. I mean, how many times do we say to kids, you know, you're, I mean, I'm trying to tell my grandchildren how lucky they are. And they, they look at me as if to say, well, isn't that what everybody does? And it's like, no, no look at the world. But you're never going to educate completely children like that. So, you know, just enjoy it and don't take yourself too seriously. Give a good account of yourself so that when the good Lord does call you, you can look in the mirror and say, I, I got everything I could get out of life. That's, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And I think, look, your book, Barry Hearn, My Life, I think your joie de vivre really came through in your book, Barry. I, I definitely think you managed to capture your personality, your charisma. I read it over the Easter weekend, and I'm telling you, I had a real spring in my step. As I mentioned to you before, I, I've put in a few extra hours of work in the last few days, despite suffering with a little bit of COVID. So <laughs> That's not going to kill you, is it? It's not going to kill you. Well, fingers crossed. But, you know, someone said, so many people say to me, oh, you know, my business is struggling or this, and, oh, you know, how do I actually change my life around? And there is no, listen, there's no secret. But if you want to increase productivity and you want to keep common sense to the front, start an hour earlier and finish an hour later is a good way to begin. Oh, what a lovely bit of simple advice. Now, in terms of your book, I spoke to your son, Eddie, when his came out. Yeah. And uh, I know he was proud as punch to have got one out before you did. Yeah, of course he was. <laughs> I know you two are quite competitive like that. Did uh, his efforts inspire you to put pen to paper? No, not at all. Look, <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's got two million social media followers and lives in a different world than his dad. Uh, I, I, I like his world. I like to look at it. But sometimes, you know... It's not the same as the standards that I've grown up with. So my book took me, and I think Eddie's book took him three months to do, you know, with the help of various people. My book took three and a half years. This is my life. I won't be doing another one. You know, this is <laughs> this has taken, so I, I don't know whether 60 or 70 hours worth of tapes prepared diligently while I was fishing at my lake at home or sitting around thinking about stories and memories. And I've really enjoyed the process because it's brought back to me so many happy memories and a few sad memories as well. And I hope it's been captured, but you, you can never tell, which is why I'm always pleased to hear people's comments because it, it's too close to me, you know. This is my life and, and this is... All I've done is I've tried really hard to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So it, it, it hasn't just been thrown together. There is a, a pace to this book that I was very lucky to have Nick Pitt helping me on the writing because he's much smarter than me and he's 30 years at the Sunday Times and he knows what he's doing. And I think he's put it, he's put the words together very well. He has. And he's, like I say, he's really captured, I think, your personality, your way of being. Now, very helpfully, you've got your 10 rules that I think are excellent. I want to I go through them with you. But you mentioned fishing, Barry, and I thought this is really interesting because you know, you are known as someone, as you say, relentless work ethic, but your fishing lake or pond, as Steve Davis calls it, yeah. that's been a real refuge for you. And I think this is a really important point because a lot of people need that. An analogy uh, one of my guests used is the importance of switching a computer on and off. You know, when a computer starts playing up, what do you do? You turn it off and turn it on again, and that sorts it out. And, and our brains and our bodies are a bit like that. And you clearly get that from fishing. Yeah. 
I, th I think I can't, I don't think I really understood it until just a few years ago, how important it has been and how important it remains. And you, and you don't turn off. You're sort of going into a room with a silencer. You know, all the hubbub, all the background noise, all the aggravation, all the text messages, the emails, the phone calls, the shouting, the screaming, the hollering, whatever, you know. And then you sort of walk into this, you're still thinking of things, you're still capable of having ideas, you're still actually thinking of, you're almost still working, but you're in a completely different environment, it's sanitised. All the Muppets have disappeared. All those people that scream and shout, what I call the fur coat, no knickers brigade, you know, the ones who have got full of themselves but have no substance. They're all disappeared. And there you are with your rods sitting there quietly. Maybe the dog comes down and sits by you. Maybe you sit in a rocking chair. Maybe you sit in an easy chair. Maybe you just walk around the lake. And the serenity that comes to your mind. And then followed by the clarity of the thoughts that you have subsequently. While you're during that period, I think most of my really top ideas, of which there have been a couple along the years, have come while I've been fishing. Because I've got clarity of mind, complete and utter clarity. Yeah, so having that ability or finding an activity as you've done with the fishing that enables you to get away from the noise, like you say, to switch off to at least to some degree and that allows those creative ideas to bubble to the surface now it's obviously not going to be fishing for everyone but how would you no, encourage no, someone to principle. find well i think the same principle applies you know it's getting out of an environment that you associate with any form of stress which is probably you know i always think stress is probably the biggest killer they to control stress levels is the greatest asset you can have really because we're all under it. We all want to achieve certain things. None of us will ever achieve our ultimate goals. I mean, mine is to live forever, for example. So, you know, that's that's <laughs> going to be an issue sometime in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. But it depends on the personality. It depends on the individual. One of the things I always recommend is, is telling the truth is one of my Ten Commandments. Because certainly as you get older, you can't remember the lies anyway, and you get yourself in all sorts of trouble. So it's easier if you just tell the truth. But one of the things as you're growing up is to tell yourself the truth. You know, we live in a bullshit world. Um, sometimes, you know, the truth is not necessarily the first thing that comes out of people's lips. So it's quite good to look in the mirror every now and again and talk to yourself and be honest because the person you're looking at is the only person in the world that you can really 100% guarantee is telling you the truth. It's interesting you say that Barry actually because that reminds me of a, a piece in your book where you talked about Willie Thorne for example and who obviously struggled with addiction for a long time and I think a lot of us know people who've had battles like that and the first sort of casualty in many ways is that ability to tell the truth to yourself isn't it? Well I think anyone who's addicted to any any substances or bad habits, if, if it is an addiction, they lie to themselves first before they lie to anyone else hmm. because they don't ever want to admit that that's the case. Whereas if they go, if they go into... <clears throat> my system is literally sitting down, looking in the mirror. And literally you can start off with, good morning, how are you? What's happening today? And, you know, you, you, you delve into yourself. Now... Initially, when you first do this, by the way, you'll feel terribly embarrassed and you'll think you're absolutely mad as a March hare. But it's, it's not the case. If you persevere with it, get used to it. Not every day, every now and again. Because people like Willie Thorne is a really good example. What a lovely man, lovely, lovely man. But totally addicted to gambling, couldn't control it, ruined a good part of people's lives around him, lost friends over it, you know, but never really admitted he had a problem. I mean, Willie Thorne's famous line to me was, you know, I could be runner-up in a one-horse race. He was the worst gambler you've ever seen, but it gave him a thrill in the same way as, I suppose, some drugs do, things like that, you know, and alcohol, whatever you want to call it. It's escapism, really, isn't it? And escapism comes with not being real 
and therefore not telling yourself the truth. And if you can get someone to tell the truth, they will identify it as a problem much easier. So that sort of self-inquiry process that you go through then, you know, how are you doing, Barry? How are you feeling today? All that kind of thing. How long have you been doing that? And what have you noticed to be the benefits of it? Well, yeah, you start off, you look at him and you go, you look good today, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you look, you're cutting. I like the shirt. I like, you know. Yeah. Um, I think all my life, really, in a way, because you really need to big yourself up. If you're having challenges, you really need to believe in yourself. Because if you don't, how on earth can you get other people to believe in you? So it's a part, it's not the entire, but it's part of the process of confidence, of holding your head up, putting you, and on other occasions of getting in there in, in the nitty gritty, you know, going into the championship rounds of a boxing match, you know, you've got to really believe. That you might be behind on points, but you're going to win. You know, you've always got to have that belief in yourself. So the conversation piece is just a way of stimulating that. And also telling yourself off to learn lessons. I mean, a number of times I've done it and I've looked, someone, you know, people let you down more than anything else. Is why I love numbers so much, because numbers don't tell lies. People tell lies. People let you down. Numbers don't let you down. Give me a spreadsheet. But the number of times I've trusted someone and it's worked out to be misplaced trust. And the conversation in the mirror is something like, you muppet, how many times are you going to, before you learn that, you know? And you sit there and you go, yeah, okay, I won't do that again. And and over time, you do learn from it. But it's the, it's the clarity of mind. Again, it's all about thinking clearly whilst under pressure and avoiding any type of stress because under stress conditions you don't make good decisions so it's kind of like a process of, of being a good friend to yourself an actual active yeah. process you're complimenting yourself but you're also being yeah, honest with yourself and everything like that so I'm the, I'm the best friend i've got i've got a lot of friends i hope and i love them dearly but i'm the best friend i've got apart from looking in the mirror and like you say that's going to feel awkward there is that but you know in terms of being a best friend to yourself if someone was not good to themselves in that way how would you get them to be as you are to yourself it is very difficult you know you just say you got you got to love yourself i mean sometimes you look in the mirror and you're going out and you go smoking baby i'm ready to rumble and you, and and you get that little spring in your step it's it's indefinable it's an attitude of mind and you've got to embrace it. Uh, and some people can. Look, everybody's different. Some people can do things. Other people probably listen to this and going, cool, he's, he's cracked up, that geezer. How, how embarrassing is that? But the fact is, mate, I've had a wonderful life. I've achieved things I never dreamed I would achieve. So maybe listen to me for a few seconds and just maybe consider things. As William Gladstone said on his deathbed, probably our greatest prime minister, I've been a learner all my life. That's an attitude you should always take. You can't close your mind. I mean, in business, you can't close your mind to new ideas. I've, you know, I'm struggling, but I'm trying to understand the new digital world, the new age of the kids' social media, the implications, the, the data required to learn and earn from new technology. As you know, you, what you're doing now didn't exist a few years ago. So, well done. You've learned something and hopefully it's helped you in your life one way or another. It doesn't have to mean it makes a financial return because there's lots of ways to help you. Finance is good. Money is important, of course, but there are other things that make your life as enjoyable or more enjoyable. And understanding the new world is a big part of that. And the day you close your eyes to learning it's the day you go backwards and slip into that area of being absolutely no use to man or beast. You mentioned truth and obviously trust going alongside that. And I know obviously for you, a handshake's enough. But on the flip side, you say you obviously you've been let down. So how do you decide or how have you decided who to go into business with? I mean, is it a feel? Is it a question of liking them? Is it a sense, do I trust this person? And how do you get a feel for that? I, I, you know, I don't want to be, especially in boxing, this applies, by the way, because there's a lot of very sad people in boxing. You know, they've been hurt over the years. They've become bitter, twisted. They're still involved, but, you know, 
I don't want to be like that. So my first, I will always give everyone the doubt. First meeting, I give them the doubt. You know, the first time they cross me, the first time they let me down, the first time they disappoint me, then I reevaluate completely my relationship with that person. If it's a, if it's a serious breach, as they would say legally in contract terms, then I can be very dismissive of them to the point that I've had a few instances in my life where I've said to the person, I will never speak to you again, and I never have. So I'm unforgiving once they go past a certain point. But up to that point, I give always give people the benefit of the doubt until they let me down. And what about the importance of one-to-one relationships, Barry? Because you are clearly a people person. You love talking. And the thing that I recognise these days is, and it frustrates me somewhat, because I've I'm, I'm obviously got the podcast, writing a book, but also launched my own business in the last uh, 18 months or so. And, you know, what I realise, I love chatting on the phone. I love speaking. But these days, people tend to communicate a lot more by, by email, by text. And you, you don't get that same rapport. You don't get the same relationship. No, you don't. So, so what, what is your advice then? <laughs> I always get so frustrated. It's funny you should say that because I get so frustrated with people sometimes. When I'll be talking to key members of my staff and I'll say, you know, we've got to chase up such and such. And they say, yes, I've emailed them. And I say, do you ever actually speak to people? You know, that is the best communication. That's why God allowed us to speak. If, we, if speech wasn't necessary... God would have just given us a laptop, wouldn't he? <laughs> Send him an email. When Moses came down from his mountain with his version of the Ten Commandments, he spoke. So I think what we've got to put across is the personal relationships in life are just as important. And the danger of this current society, and especially with youngsters, is that we are losing the art of communication. And there's going to be serious repercussions of that over the next 10 or 20 years. You know, we mustn't be withdrawn. We mustn't be introverted. We've got to express ourselves. We've got to be outgoing. We've got to believe in ourselves. We've got to project the points we want to put across, which can be so much easier done. We go back to Mark Antony's speech in Cleopatra, isn't it? You know, I come not to praise Caesar, but to bury him. So the projection of your views, sounds a bit deep this is, but the projection of your views is so important. Look, I'm a salesman. I'm a personality person. I love people. I love communicating. I want them to feel that they want to be on the same journey or the same page even. So that means I have to open my arms and I have to educate them. I have to cajole them. I have to entertain them. I have to give them value for money. And then my communication skills will mean that I've acquired a friend or a client that will give me some sustainability in my business and some long-term relationship. Long-term relationships, like I've had with a few people, are because you fall in love with them. You know, Steve Davis changed my life. Did he know it at the time? Did I? No, of course not. We were two kids on an adventure and it was just the most wonderful time. And it changed their lives. And Steve, to my mind now, is the happiest I've ever seen him with his music career and, you know, still doing his commentary on BBC. And we're mates for 50 years. You can't buy that type of relationship. Eubank, when he first walked into my life with the words, good morning, Mr Hearn, I am an athlete and I know what I'm worth, you know. And I'm thinking, I can't buy that. That is a line. I was sold, you know, similar to the film, you had me when you said hello. And that's where that's where I want to be. I want to be trusting. Now there are other people come along and you find out after a little while that they're no good bastards and you'll deal with them accordingly. But that mustn't be your first thought because it makes you cynical and tired and old as well. So we have to keep that freshness about ourselves. And the freshness is, comes from the spoken word yeah. far more than the written word. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Everything is sales, isn't it? And I always think, you know, relationships, you can only get that by connecting and you can only connect by talking. And if it's an email, it's just words on a page. You know, you can't differentiate one person from the next. And well, it could be anybody. Exactly. You know, it's, a nameless, it's a nameless, faceless form of communication. And of course, it has a role in life. You know, of course it does. There are times you can't reach people, et cetera, et cetera. But there is nothing like. I, I try to explain to all my people and, and the good ones get it. There's nothing like looking into someone's eyes. No. I think this is particularly important, like you say, for young people who are so used to communicating by, by text and messages. And whenever anyone gets in touch, I always say, look, get in front of people or speak to them. Yeah. It's fundamental. Uh, you mentioned Steve Davis, obviously, the famous moment in 81 when you came storming down after he'd won the World Championships for the first time. But that brings us on to you know, your rule number one. And tell the truth was uh, rule number two in your holy commandments. Yeah. And you say, so better to be born lucky than good looking. And there were a number of times in your life when you know, good fortune shone on you, whether it be getting off of the snooker halls just before snooker took off, Steve Davis walking into said snooker halls, yeah. Sky TV in the early 90s when your business was in trouble. And of course, when you met your wife, Susan. Yeah, I mean, my life has been built around. I mean, of course you have setbacks. Of course. I mean, we had a horrendous time in the late 80s, nearly going bust several times, owing the banks millions of pounds, everyone else going bust around us. But I've had some amazing bits of luck. And when I came to write the book, I thought, let's just, I want it to be honest. You know, I don't know where I'd been if Steve Davis had not walked into my life in, in that room for Billy Doll. I think I'd have still been okay. I think I'd have still been a chartered accountant. I might be working, you know, in one of those little practices over a butcher's shop or something in some provincial town. I'd, I'm sure I'd have been happy. Uh, I, I can adjust to circumstance because, you know, unlike my son, I had nothing to prove, you see. I was never under pressure to be successful because I didn't come from a successful background. So that's a plus in my book. Nothing, you know, I'm up for none. So uh, it... it it, it was good. But I look back on my life and it, it made me realise, bloody hell, Barry, you've had a couple of touches, son. How did you, you know, you know when, when I did Bruno Brugner in 1987, I didn't know anything about boxing promotion. I took, a, I took a punt on it. And it ended up with 18 and a half million television viewers and made a couple of million quid. In, you know, and I thought, I'm good at this. I didn't, I didn't know. But then why should I know? I had no experience, but... I had no fear. I think fear is the factor. I mean, I look at my son, Eddie, who's a phenomenal operator. I've got to say, forget he's my son. He's just, a, as you know, he's, he's phenomenal. But he's been under the cosh since he was born because he's Barry Hearn's son. You know, now, I'm now. I walk into an arena. I did. I walked into the O2 a few weeks ago. Someone shouted out, look, look, it's Eddie Hearn's dad. <laughs> so that's the end of me. I mean, I'm finished, aren't I? But that's good. That's what you want. But having said that, he's under pressure to perform, to outperform, because we play, we're competitive, we play games. And the latest game we play is 
company profit and loss accounts, company balance sheets, because it is only a game. We, we don't take it seriously. We take it seriously as far as we want to win. We want to be the best we can be. And by, by the judgment of that is, can we beat last year? Can we, can we beat next year? Can we be bigger and better? And that's the game we play. But that, that, that does put a bit of pressure on Eddie because he's the front man now. He's in charge. So it's down to him. And of course, if he fails on anything, he'll have his dad giving him grief. <laughs> yes, as I know you did many times growing up, which was interesting to hear from of Eddie. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, just, uh, well, actually, just a quick word now. I, I do agree with you on the whole on the Eddie thing, obviously I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I'm aware of a, you know, a lot of children of parents who've done really well. And it, you know, that can be a, a really tough chalice to handle. It is. It, I think it is. And it's underestimated how difficult, yes. you know, my dad was a bus driver. I didn't have a lot to beat. So there was no pressure. When I, I use the word pressure. I don't like the word pressure because I think it's a word that people used as an excuse to fail. And I don't like excuses. You know, I'd rather stand up and be counted and say I wasn't good enough because then you can learn to be good enough. But, you know, I, I, I take my hat off to Eddie. He's, you know, he's come from an area, I mean, even his dad, bless him, I, I still refer to him as Silver Spoon. You know, you're the Silver Spoon kid. And he turns around, the other, you know, he said, Dad, you're, prob- you're right. He said, but you can only play the hand you're dealt with. He said, it wasn't my fault that you were successful. He said, but I have turned that Silver Spoon gold. And I thought, that's a good closing line of the movie. that is you're right and just to go back then and this still relates to rule number one better to be born lucky than good looking and what I like about this as well is is it's a recognition that there but for the grace of God as well isn't it and it stops the ego getting too ahead of itself because people like to take personal credit but at the end of the day you know you didn't choose to have the gift of the gab or a mother that pushed you that's the way the cards fell so You've got to be grateful. Obviously, you've got to take advantage when you get an opportunity, but you've got to be grateful as well for the things you have and, and not let it go to your head, right? Yeah. And people got to understand that sometimes sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes, however good you are, you get unlucky mm. and it's not your fault. So you have to take the good luck and the bad luck the same. You know, it's just something out of your control. Just be as good as you can. And then depending on, you know, you could be religious over it. You can say as a higher force, you can be fatalistic about it and just say, well, that was always meant to be. Just be as good as you can be and then take what God gives you. And you've spoken obviously about, you know, being your own cheerleader and obviously that that's fantastic. But at the same time, not letting things go to your head. I mean, you must have experienced some some big egos in your time. And I, I imagine, no offence, Barry, probably some people think that that you've probably been a bit like that in your time. But oh, but, but what, what's your well, take off on big ego and people who do think, oh, I'm a bit special, whether it be because I've won this or I've earned no, this? No, listen, I love it. But there's a big but. They've got to deliver. You're creating a monster, but you've got to deliver. You know, I was watching a, one of those excellent programs on Muhammad Ali the other day. You know, it sums it all up, didn't it? You couldn't have had a bigger ego. You couldn't have had a bigger mouth. I mean, I've, I've no doubt when I was younger, I was probably quite obnoxious. <laughs> but, you know, I believed in myself and I, and I wasn't slow in telling everyone I'm special. Now, and everyone just thought, he's mad. Ali was, I wish I had more comparisons with the great man, but Ali was special, but he delivered. So that's okay. You're setting yourself up for a fall is a good phrase, isn't it? But let's not be negative. Let's be positive. Let's say we're setting ourselves up for a great future. And if you don't believe in yourself and your product and your services, and you don't shout it from the rooftops, you don't want to be a secret. You want to be a sec- You want to get yourself into a level that you you could only dream about when you were a child. Look, even I'm as I say, I'm coming up to seventy four. I walk around my places or wherever I am, I talk to myself all the time. As I said, sometimes in the mirror, sometimes just because I'm getting to that age where I talk to myself. <laughs> and I just say, I don't believe what I've got. I don't believe how this is I don't believe how this has come about. So you can be incredulous. You don't have to take yourself so seriously. But if you don't believe in yourself to start with and you don't self publicise yourself when I was at, when I started off in the world of child accountancy as a qualified accountant, there were occasions I was with a big firm who were very snobby, very old-fashioned, very old school. Every now and again, I would go to work in a white suit, 
right? And don't ask me why. I, I used to look like John Travolta on a bad day. In those days, in some firms, it was obligatory to wear a bowler hat. So they were the rules of the profession. I would turn up in a white suit. I remember getting in a lift one day at a company called Thompson McClintock that became part of KPMG, one of the world's biggest firms. And the partner, Alan McClintock, got in the lift with me. And he looked at me in my white suit and he said, do you work here? And I said, yes, sir. He said, good Lord. But he, he never forgot me. It got me noticed. And so don't underestimate yourself. Don't underestimate self-publicity. But of course, you, I was very good. You've got to deliver. You've still got to be good. You can't, you can't bullshit your way. You can bullshit your way to a, a, a temporary success, you know. But there's no sustainability in that. Ability is what gives you sustainability. But then you also need to market yourself in the same way as you'd market a product because you are a product. You are a brand. Obviously, believing in yourself, publicizing yourself, letting people know your strengths and all that stuff. But I do think, and I wonder what you think about this, the importance of retaining humility. And for example, being grateful for the abilities you have. Because I see a lot of ex-sports people, for example, and, you know, they're still sort of dining out on past glories and still a bit, oh, I'm a bit special because I did this once. Whereas the people I admire most are the ones who are grateful for the gifts they got, whether it be sporting excellence or whatever it may be. But then recognize that in spite of that, that doesn't actually make them any more important or less important than anyone else. Everyone's still on the level. I think it comes a little bit with age. I think when you get more reflective as you get older, you appreciate things more. As you get older and more reflective, then perhaps you do, by act, you can see that you're getting a better person. You know, I always think that there are three stages in, in most entrepreneurial's life, most entrepreneurs' lives. The first one is the nasty one, when you start, where you have to be selfish. Selfish to the point of your projects or whatever you're working on come above your wife and family, there is no nothing you wouldn't do to be successful, and generally I do mean nothing. You know, you're totally committed. You achieve a certain amount of success, and, and then you get that confidence that comes with knowing that you've actually delivered, and you go into stage two, which is where you become a much better husband and father. You actually care about the family, and you want them to share in. The success you've enjoyed by making sacrifices is the best way to put it. In other words, they've paid a price as well, so they should enjoy it. Their third stage is when your family is also now secure, and then you look at your local community where you come from, and you try to put something back into that because they paid a part in making you the person you are. And that's the humbling stage, but it's stage three. Some people don't make stage three. Some people, a few people, make stage four, which is looking after your country, and stage five, which is looking after the world. But apart from Bill Gates and George Soros and people like that, Warren Buffett, not many people get to stage five. But a lot of people can get to stage three, and that's the humbling part where you realise that life shows you a bigger picture, that you're not as important as you're not. Actually, you're not at all important, but you're important for... a a flash, you're a flash in the pan importance in the spectrum of, of life. And someone once said that when the earth was formed, there was a diamond mountain. And on the first day, a, a pigeon flew to the top of the mountain and sharpened his beak on it. And eventually so many pigeons came, they wore out, they eroded the entire diamond mountain. And at that time, one second of eternity had passed. I tell you, you're, you're quite the... Uh historian and raconteur in that sense Barry. <laughs> well I, you know I'm sitting here thinking in a couple of hours I'm going to walk out to the crease and if I get bold first ball I want to just say to myself next week will be better <laughs> you've got to be an optimist haven't you and you do and of course when you get older you ramble so much better Simon you know so you're like, this is your I've got a feeling you've always been good at rambling Barry have you always been optimistic and do you think optimism can be developed Oh, yeah. I mean, look, listen, when you talk about it, go and listen to Tom Paxton singing Rambling Boy. Okay. Number one tip. Number one. Again, music is a... Yeah, music is soothing, isn't it? And, and it can be in the same way, you know. 
different types of views, different types of things, you know, depending on your own personal taste. Some people love to read books and other people like to just close their eyes and, and dream of happy days on paradise islands. I don't know. So everyone is so different. The, the frustration for me is that everyone's DNA, and pretty well everyone's DNA in the world is different. And everyone is better than someone at something because of, they are, because of their differences. The sadness is a lot of people don't find out what that thing is. So if we find out what we are good at, that's a major plus. Now, the real strength now is have you got the brains, the foresight, the intelligence, the dedication to work on that advantage and make it the reason why you can achieve your dreams? That's... That's the essence. And that comes down to work ethic, right? But but how would you find out what you're good at? Because, you know, a lot of people are quite risk averse, aren't yes. they? They want to play it safe. But that's okay. And, uh... But that's okay. That's what they're good at. I mean, some people want to be a vicar. Some people want to be a nurse. Some people want to be a nun. That's great. That's their life. They don't want to be. Very few people really want to be an entrepreneur with the risks involved and the, and the ups and downs. And, you know, uh, it, mo- most people like... Steadiness, continuity, you know, they don't, you know, because their life is not, you know, look, our life when we, we're in business, um, you know, it does, t- it takes over everything. We're, you know, you have to, you have to immerse yourself in it. Otherwise, you wouldn't achieve your goals. A lot of people don't want to pay that price. They'd rather, you know, get into their life when they, it's steady uh, and they look forward to things and they enjoy their life. And it's whatever turns you on, isn't it? But, everyone always reads about the stories. It goes, oh, I wish I was that, you know. Oh. I always say, do you really want that? Go and have that chat in the mirror. Ask, what, what, what do you really want out of life? What do you really want? And sometimes you'd be surprised. You don't really want my life, despite the success, because maybe you don't want to pay that price along the way. And by the way, you're not aware of the price now. You will be when you get into the cauldron and you realise... This is a tough old game. Mm. What is the price then, Barry? I think uh, the price is it. T- the desire to achieve knows no barriers. You know, it's like 1982. I made quite a lot of money. Well, a lot of money in 1982 when I sold my snookles. So I probably made a million and a half pound. That's a lot of money in 1982. It's a lot of money now. And I was going to retire. I thought, I've done it. That is it. I've kicked in. Bought, bought this huge house, bought some, bought a forest in Scotland, bought property in West End, all sorts of stuff. Six weeks, I thought, I'm going to play cricket, I'm going to go fishing, and I'm going to play golf. All the things I, I love doing. And I did it for six weeks, and I was climbing up a wall because I wasn't born to do that. I wasn't born to retire early. I was born to go out and do something else. And uh, that's the way I run my life. You know, in many ways, we're not really in control, are we? And until they, until they lock us up and, or put us in some corner and we, you know, bless us, getting old like, like oh, everyone does. We're not really in charge of our own destiny, I don't think. I think things just happen for a reason. Yeah, I agree with you. And that comes back to your rule number one. But in terms of being an entrepreneur then, what do you think the key skills are? Communication. Targeting your targeting your market is number... I, I think that's way over number one. That's number zero. So important. Don't waste your time. Concentrate. Specialise. And when it comes to maximise, maximise with a brutality that no one else would even consider. How do you do that? You make every second count. You make every penny count. You establish levels and you establish values. You work on image. You're selling yourself as well as your product. That's the other thing you always try to remember. But you've got to maximise your commercial assets. And that's, a, that's an art form. That's a skill set. And it's a changing skill set all the time. I mean, today's market to maximise, you know, when I started, there was no Sky. There was no Eurosport. There was no sports stations. There was no ESPN, you know. So it was a struggle. People would still buy tickets. 
But when I started, I was sticking up posters outside Whitechapel tube station. Today, we don't do posters because it's all social media. You know, Eddie looks at posters. It's like a, a word from the past. It's a dinosaur word, you know. So everything changes. So you've got to be fresh. You've got to wake up every morning. When I wake up in the morning, my heart rate goes up when I get close to my office. How sad is that? Oh, that's great. Of course it's great. Yeah, it's great. Try it for 50-odd years. <laughs> now, you said targeting your market, Barry. and but, but I saw a quote of yours, which is the common sense side of business. I know what people want because I know what I want. So you talk about targeting your market, but are you not just going with what you think? Uh, do you know what? I like this, therefore other people might like this. No, no, but you see, the, <laughs> look, because it doesn't matter what assets you've got, by the way. I'm working class. I understand working class people. I've been there. I lived it. I know exactly what they need. They need to be entertained. They mustn't be robbed. They've got to be treated special. It's a one occasional day off that they want to talk about when they go to work the next day. So to take darts as an example, when I walked into the first darts event at Circus Tavern in Perfleet, I just looked at it and I went, I can just smell money. And people said, you know, the, the business was losing money at that time. Darts was losing money, like 15 years ago, whenever. And people said, what, how, what? I said, look at these people. I said, they're drinking beer. They're smoking cigarettes and they're having a bet. They're eating a dodgy pizza and they're going home happy. They said, yes, and? I said, do you know how many people there are out there like these people? There's millions of millions and millions of them. Because people ignore blue-collar workers. People ignore, they don't really treating them with the respect that you should always treat a customer with. And of course, it's changed. I mean, darts has become classless. But in businesses, I look for volume because I don't want to be reliant on one big customer with a load of money. I want to be reliant on the masses, whether they're watching on TV, whether they're buying products or whether they're attending events. And darts was formulated on that. Let's have a party. Why? Why do we have a party at a sports event? Because no one else does. That's number one. Number two is, why don't we let people dress up in fancy costumes? Why don't they have a good time? Why don't they appear on television for a nanosecond with the crowd? So they go home and their mates say, I saw you on the box. Don't you understand? It's about just, you know, there's too much snobbery in the world. You know, everybody plays golf. Everybody plays rugby. No, they don't. No, they don't. There are no facilities for 90% of the country to participate in those sports. So let's just do what we do. And then you see the bigger picture. Once you've got volume, then you can capitalise on that because you can go global volume. And that's how we work. And it works all the time. Eddie does the same thing on boxing, where he attracts sponsors or he attracts broadcasters that have a global vision. We're not going to be a parochial company. And that means that we have so much more upside than, than the average, or the average, there isn't an average sports promotion company, but, but the average person involved in sport, we take a bigger picture. What about your attitude, think poor, Barry? Just talk to me a little bit about this, because I think, you know, obviously when the money starts rolling in, you can get carried away, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a big point because you, you, you can have short-term success in a variety of different ways, but there's no sustainability, you know. If, if you give value for money, and if you receive value for money, you think of it in your own life, you know, if you get service from someone uh, and you think you've had value for money, you'll go back again, won't you? So what, what, what you mustn't do is look on anything other than thinking poor. So I judge people that I work with on what do they bring to my business, what do they bring to my life, how much did they cost me, where they value for money. And to do that, I have to think poor because it doesn't matter if I get value for money because I'm very rich. Well, that's not good for evaluating services, is it? So I have to think poor. But then you look at customers that come to me or any business, they have a choice, they can go anywhere. So why should they come to us? Well, the answer is think poor. If we give them a lot of value, why should they go anywhere else? Just common sense. It's really just an attitude of mind to say, I mean, no matter how much money you've got, I hate being ripped off. Hate it. I mean, 
It doesn't matter whether I'm ripped off or not in the bigger picture. It's not going to kill me. I don't like it. And if I get ripped off, I don't deal with those people again, ever. What did you learn, Barry, from those years where the recession nearly cobbled the business? Because you talk, another one of your rules is unusual things happen every day. And I know you were incredibly close to having things topple over and you got lucky when the guys offered to pay you in hotel rooms and then obviously Sky kicking off. But you said those two years were the, were the hardest years. What did you learn from those years? I learned that no matter what, you can survive. And I learned that it's an attitude of mind, that relentless approach. I mean, I would go in the office and refuse to leave until I'd sent someone somewhere in the world an invoice every day. And it might be for 500 quid, it might be for five grand, you know. It was brutal. Um, in a way, again, because I'd built my house with a good foundation, I wasn't ever in, I was never going to be poor again. You know, I, even in those tough days, I would say to myself in a quiet moment, I can always go back to being a chartered accountant. My qualification still applies. I can always get a job. I'm smart. I'm never going to starve. My family's not going to starve. Of course, by then I'd set my sights higher. I wanted to build. I wanted to build a big business. Um, what I learned was, I had the character required, and I'm not sure I knew that until we went through those two years. So, and the Barry Hearn that came out after two years was a much better operator than the one that went in. So, in some ways, it was a bit of a blessing. It was in every way. It was a blessing. It, it, it was. Something that I kept to myself that I didn't involve my family or friends in how difficult it was because it was irrelevant in my view to them. And it was something as a man I had to sort out myself. And in a way, I took a sort of sadistic pleasure in sorting it out. But I do know that the lessons I learned, you know, things like as a company, we will never borrow money. That goes back to when we owed the bank millions in the late 80s. And we were paying like 15% interest and it was horrible. But that today, no, we don't have that. We've run, we run a very sustainable, quite conservative, highly profitable business with cash reserves. And then along comes COVID and all the lessons we learned in the late 80s and the way we run our business showed us that's the best lesson you could ever have in life because we can survive COVID. We can actually grow our business during COVID and we can come out of it even stronger, which is, of course, you know, we are, it sounds terrible to say, but, you know, we started life underneath a billiard hall in Romford and we're now one of the biggest sports promotion companies in the world. That's not a bad gig, you know? No. And you got creative, didn't you? Well, we got, we got creative. We had to, we had to, we had 700 odd event days planned and suddenly we had none and we've got 120 staff and we've got hundreds and hundreds of sportsmen and women that are self-employed that are saying, how are we going to feed our children and pay our mortgages? And we all sat around and said, what do we do? And we were never going to do what a lot of other people did, which was bury their head in the sand and say, wake me up when it's over. Most sports governing bodies did that. The others put their hand out to the government and said, feed me, feed me. And we said, we're doing this on our own. We know what we've got to do. We've got to get activity. We've got to get opportunity. And we're not cutting a penny off prize money because we've got all the money in the bank you need. And the people we're looking after is the ones that put us in that position to start with. So we owe them. It's some basic rules of life. And we delivered. And actually, we did more events during COVID than we did in a normal year. And now we're through COVID, hopefully. We are about to expand our business enormously all over the world. And it's very exciting times. And I really wish I was 54 instead of 74. But management in place are ready to do the job. And I'm going to enjoy watching them. But it's lessons you learn in life, isn't it? You don't, there are books, of course, but life teaches you so much more. Yeah. Just a quick word on, on the recession. How did you deal then with the stress if you were keeping it so much to yourself? Just bottled it up, decompartmentalized it in my mind, stuck it to the left-hand side of lower brain one. There were plenty of times when it wasn't pleasant, but, you know, so what? 
well, I wasn't. I couldn't see the point of acknowledging anything being bad because it didn't achieve anything. I was too busy trying to get things right. I didn't have time to worry about what was wrong. That wasn't. That's not my style. Smash it up, mate. Just smash it up and keep going. What's the worst thing can happen? You go under a bus and you're dead. You know. Yes, very true. Um, right, last lesson I want to ask you about. Barry is uh, your life doesn't change by sitting on a sofa and you've said that your biggest achievement is not wasting time and that comes back to what your dad said about you know making the most of every day but you talked about putting posters up yeah. back in the day but now it's all social media but the downside of social media is it's designed to be addictive and so so many young people yeah. spending time scrolling through their phones or through social media and stuff like that does that worry you and what words of wisdom have you got about getting yeah. off your backside and- I think just discipline you know just to understand there is no right way, there is no wrong way, you know, but there's a mixture of the two which suit individuals, okay? Get the mirror out, find out what suits you. Ask yourself a question. Am I going to get anywhere sitting on my sofa, on my laptop for eight hours a day? There's only so many TikTok dances you can do, you know. (laughs) Of course you want to be entertained. And of course habits change. We all know that. We don't sit on the settee anymore with mum and dad watching TV like we used to, you know? Kids want to watch, and and we've been a benefit a beneficiary of that with DAZN and the idea that you can watch top quality boxing, top quality sport on your laptop, on your mobile, whenever you want, wherever you want. That's part of the freedom of choice of individuals. But don't let it distract from your long term goal, your overall venture. You know, use it, don't abuse it. Yeah, you say there are lots of opportunities out there. There are always opportunities out there, and it's just about finding them. Well, it's in you. If you want to, if you want to find something, there's in you. I mean, there are jobs to be done. There are jobs to be done at certain levels, and other some people don't want to do jobs. Some people don't want to do the hours. Some people don't even. You know, it's up to you. You know, you you can you can make money. You this country we're in still with all its problems and dodgy politicians and everything. Yeah. <laughs> With all its problems, it's still the best country in the world to work in. So we have a chance. God's given you a chance. You're going to say no thank you or you're going to go and give it your best shot. Whatever that is, whether it's working for someone else or working for yourself, go and give it your best shot. You'll be, you'll be surprised how good you can be. But you're going to have to make an effort. And if you don't want to make an effort, don't whinge because I don't like whinges. <laughs> Very nice. Now, listen, Barry, I'm going to let you go, but I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I hope you go out there and get that third ton. You deserve it this afternoon. Thanks, mate. I'll try. As always, I'll try my best, but I am prepared for failure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always next week. And the week after. <laughs> there we go. Barry Hearn, thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to this week's conversation with Barry Hearn. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd love to hear from you. And I'm sure Barry would too. So why don't you drop us both a message on social media and do, of course, get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com, where you can sign up for Monday on a Monday, my newsletter too. Just to say, for the next month or so, I'm going to be putting out bite-sized episodes each week so that I can focus on finishing my book. And once I've really broken back of that, I'll be back putting out the full-length episodes once again. And just finally, before I go, please do share this episode if you enjoyed it. And a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts is always very gratefully received. It really does make a big difference. Anyway, that'll do for now. I hope you have a great week. And until next time, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.